You're listening to a bonus episode of the Accounting Influencers Podcast, Talent in Accounting, with Rob Brown. This is your access to world-class accounting leaders, global influencers, and thought leaders. Discover what makes accounting firms great and accounting professionals world-class. It's the Accounting Influencers Podcast. We're doing a talent special with John Fenton. It's great to have you back, John. We talked recently in an episode with you on leadership and what it takes to be a successful leader in today's crazy world. You're a former managing partner of BDO USA. You've got a black belt in Tai Chi. You're a heart attack survivor. You spoke very candidly from the heart about going through anxieties and imposter syndrome and a whole range of things. Would you just sum up for us that episode in terms of a couple of the takeaways that modern day leaders can apply to be better in their role? Absolutely. Uh, First, I would say, I think measure your success based on the quality of relationships inside the firm and outside, your customers, your employees, vendors, whether you realize it or not, you're in a relationship business. Uh, Secondly, slow things down, slow things down. Find a way to create some white space on your calendar. I know, I know the 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 drive to say yes to everybody and to everything that comes your way is there. I get it. I've been there myself. And but find that time. Really have the discipline to find that time to create some white space to reflect. Reflect on where you're taking the firm. Reflect on your clients. Reflect on projects that may be in the works. Those sorts of things. Take a moment to reflect. You know, allow yourself to do some daydreaming. It's not wasting time. Not wasting time. Great. We'll put the link to that show in the show notes. I'm hoping that one of your answers to the following question will be talent, given that's what we're talking about today. But you talk to managing partners, leaders all the time in professional firms. What do you feel are the top priorities for leaders in this year and beyond as we emerge from the pandemic and get back to some level of normalcy, whatever that looks like? Yeah, yeah. the normalcy keeps changing every, <laughs> every, probably every 30 days, probably. The new normal, whatever. The new normal, call. right? <laughs> um God, it's, it's such a great question. The things that I'm hearing from the managing partners that, I, that I've been talking to and, and, and following are a couple of things. One, there is definitely called a battle, called a war. There's a war for talent, for sure. And then there's the whole concept, right? There's this, all this struggle now going on with big companies, small companies, CPA firms, you know, work from home, all these acronyms, work from home, RTO, return to office, right? There's a, there's a push and pull going on there. I saw something the other day, a company mandated, all the, I forget which company it was, mandated everybody come to the office Tuesdays through Thursdays, um, or they're not going to get their bonuses, right? That'll go down well. And not a CPA firm. Yeah, that's right. I'm not sure what's going to happen there. So there's this push and pull of that going on. Uh, but thinking about how to do work differently in this new dynamic, I think the pandemic showed us that we can, we've been talking about it for a long time about remote work in the profession. I mean, I retired 10 years ago. We were talking about it five or 10 years before I retired. Remote, remote work, we had the technology, the ability. Well, then it got pushed to the forefront, obviously, during the pandemic. And guess what? People people kind of like that. They don't want to deal with the hassle of getting to the office and you know, got to put kids in daycare or whatever, you know, whatever it might be. And so there's all this disruption in their, in their personal lives. They have more free time be able to work from home or work with some com- combination. So there's a struggle around that, around do we have a remote combination of remote hybrid full-time in the office, just full-time in the office. I know some firms, even during the pandemic, I was talking to one firm, they required everybody to come to the office. So it's interesting, right? So there's that that's push and pull going on. I think too around, this is really so prescient for my, for my work right now, but you know, it's around culture. So it's people, relationships, culture. Uh, I read a recent book, Tom Peters, you know, co-author of In Search of Excellence. One of his latest books was um, entitled um, um, Excellence Now, colon, Extreme Humanism. And in that book, he writes, hard is soft and soft is hard. And what we used to think of hard were 
the numbers, org charts, strategic plans are really soft. And I'll explain what that means in a moment. And what we used to consider soft, people skills, relationship, culture are really hard. One of my clients recently told me, I love this and I've used it quite often, peopling is hard, <laughs> right? It is. Because day in and day out as a managing partner, you're dealing with all the nuances of personalities and problems and personal problems and, and communication problems and things that are going on. It's all people related, really. A lot of it, a great deal of it. And so what used to be hard is really soft, soft and you know, numbers, org charts, uh, strategic plans, because they're subject to change. Sometimes, unfortunately, subject to manipulation sometimes, right? And so they're kind of soft in the hard and soft things, the soft skills, if you will, really are important. And they're hard because as Tom Peters writes, they're a bedrock. They're the must-haves. If you want to have a thriving business in, through the, you know, into the 21st century, through the 21st century, you've got to be able to tackle those things and do them in excellence in terms of people, relationships, and culture. I'm struck by your use of the term peopling and how the noun has become the verb, just That's like right. to YouTube something has become a verb, hasn't it? <laughs> it's not YouTube as a noun, but you're right, it, it is about the people. So we've got the priorities around people, relationships, technology we could have thrown in there, but it comes mm -hmm. down to mm -hmm. the talent market. We know it's a dwindling talent pool. We know less people are coming into accounting uh, to take the degree or a qualification. Does the accounting profession have an image problem, John? What is going on there? That might be some of it, I think. Well, you know, back, geez. Back when I was in college, a lot of the states went and then all the states adopted it nationally, the fifth year requirement education, right? Getting a master's degree. I was fortunate enough that I was on scholarships. So I could actually do that uh, for myself. And, and even though it was in, I was in Florida and Florida was one of the first states to adopt that uh, in 1983, I graduated in 81. So I saw the saw the foreshadowing was happening. So I took advantage of that opportunity. That's part of it, I think. I think so the investment of time and money and those advanced degrees. Um, and I think people feel like you know, there's war stories and they still exist. I mean, people work in 70, 80 hours a week. And so people hear those stories and go, well, I don't really want to do that. You know, or I don't, it's not, it really isn't. Because um, what happens, people burn out. I mean, this has gone on for a long time. People burn out. They're they're wooed by the big, I'm, I'm talking about the bigger firms. You know, I was part of BDO USA. There's, you know, the big four other firms. Um, but there's a lot of work to get done and a lot of deadlines. And so people would be traveling, putting in 70, 80 hours a week. Well, by they get to a certain point in their career and go, you know, I don't want to do this anymore. They go on to something else. So there's that drain, right? There's that drain happening. And and that's the great resignation, isn't it? The great recalibration. This isn't worth it anymore. I'm not continuing. And we're, we're seeing that across all, really all industries, particularly hospitality related, right? I think there's a lot of, I think in those industries, some of the industries, you know, restaurants and hospitality, there's a lot of abuse of, of people in that regard. I think people were, to go off topic on accounting firm for a moment, people I think were working two and three jobs to make ends meet. And really being abused somewhat in terms of how that work was done and everything. And I think people just said, well, I'm not going to do this anymore to myself and my family because my family and my health are just too important. I think that's a big change too, is well-being is very important. And mental health has obviously come way to the forefront. Not that it, it was always probably an issue. We just never really talked about it very much. And, you know, and, and so I think that's going on, but I think there is a drain in that regard. And I think, you know, it was interesting if you go back even just like 10 or 15 years, like during the 2008 financial crisis, there were an influx of people entering the profession now. because they saw a need. They saw, oh, wow, we're going to help solve this financial crisis and you know, improve the, the quality of financial financial institutions, et cetera. So there was that push and it's kind of a push and pull. Now I think people are like, it's a lifestyle, right? I don't really want to put in that much time. Um, I think that's a big, a big drain uh, that's, that's happening. We talk wider about the profession. Let's zoom into individual firms. We know the term employer brand now, which speaks to what is our value proposition for people that come and work here? To what degree can we prove that we are a great place to work? 
And you'll have seen like me that all most accounting firm websites say the same thing, make the same promises, adhere to the same values, use the same fonts and colors, <laughs> the same career development opportunities and make the same claims for diversity, equity and inclusion. Very difficult for the talent pool out there to distinguish between one firm and another in terms of the real deal. What, in your view, separates the good firms from the great ones? A firm that focuses, recognizes that relationships are important, that the people are important, and not just you know, cogs on a wheel. And so really relating to people as individuals. I mean, people coming out in the workforce now, you know, Daniel Pink wrote a book in 2018 called Drive about motivation. And it's really interesting. What he talked about is the world is changing, has been changing for quite some time. It's getting more so in, in the accounting profession as well. People want to know a few things. They want to know that they can contribute to an organization, to something bigger than themselves. They want to know that their, their values are aligned with the values of that, that company or that firm. Um, they want to be able to create some, how some of that work looks, how they can contribute, right? So be, to be creative. Profession needs people that are critical thinkers, creative critical thinkers, problem solvers, because that's what your clients are going to pay for. You know, there's AI and technology you mentioned earlier and all these things going on. There's a lot of rote things. I mean, I remember when I first came out of school, I had to take one, one spreadsheet and take, put a colored, certain colored dot on one spreadsheet and tie it to another manual spreadsheet with the same colored dot to make sure the numbers agree, right? I mean, think about that. So, the, so we're paying, we're paying people, first of all, people are advanced degrees, we're paying them to be critical thinkers and problem solvers. And we've got to continue to focus on that because that's what our clients want to pay for. They don't want to pay for somebody doing rote manual work. And I think technology is going to take over that, which will be part of the solution, I think, long term in terms of how we deal with less people in the profession. We've got to be more efficient. We have been for decades doing that, probably probably a century or more doing that. But it's about thinking about things differently. And so creating opportunities where people can thrive, contribute to an overarching purpose. And I think one really key point to that is you got to be clear about what is your why? You know, you've heard um, Simon Siddick, his book, um, Know Your Why, his, his famous TED Talk, TEDx Talk, right? And really be centric, focus centrally on your purpose and the why of your organization. And from that, create your vision. And it's not just your vision as a leader, but a collaborative process to create the vision because people want to know where they're going. They want to know what, where, where they're headed and kind of take what uh, Simon Sinek was talking about. He was talking about more about customer relationships. People buy based on what you, what they believe, they believe what you believe. They, they basically make buying decisions based on emotion, the limbic brain, the middle brain, which is, you know, it's not analytical, analytical stuff, just kind of the, the cognitive part of our analytical mind just allows us to justify the emotional decisions we make. Well, the same really is true about your people. They want to know they're in a culture that they fit into, that they feel like they belong. They're, there are, you know, key belonging cues in the organization that make them feel like they're part of the, you know, something bigger than themselves. Um, and I think, um, so really tapping into that why and that vision and focusing on the culture is really important. How do accounting firms communicate that to the outside world through their employer brand? I can see how you might evoke those emotions in the people that work for you because they're on the inside. They're already employed. They can buy into a vision like that because they're living it every day. But to sell that to a candidate that's got a number of job offers and he's looking for a place to land with everybody saying the same thing, how do they do that? Probably something that really fits in your skill set is about them telling their story, not just the managing partner, but the people in the organization, telling their story, their real life story about the things that resonate with them, right? what, ma what matters to them and what's, what they see as valuable and what the firm uh, firm's values that resonate with with that situation that align with them personally. And I think sharing those stories, stories are a great way to convey culture, 
and what matters most in that organization. I think it's a great way to people to do that. One of my, uh, my clients, they hired, uh, a made a, a strategic move, added a service line that they did not have before. And they hired someone from outside the firm and he didn't believe the story. Like, he couldn't believe how great the organization was until he kept interviewing all the people in the organization after multiple interviews and kept getting the same sort of response. It wasn't canned, it was from the heart. And he realized, wow, there is something really special here. You and I have a mutual client, John, in, in BRC. We work with Laurie Kelly, the managing partner and her team there. And as you mentioned, I, I've been doing a series of interviews with them to tell the stories of why they're such a great place to work. And the conception, the, the perception, forgive me, from the outside is this is too good to be true. But as Muhammad Ali once said, it ain't bragging if you've done it. And these people have <laughs> stories upon stories upon stories about how the firm and their colleagues have been there for them and the culture that they communicate to the outside world really is the real deal on the inside. So it's, you know, it's, it's continuously creating those stories. It's creating those, those um, experiences, right? Where you're creating experiences with your customers, but also with the people in your firm and then sharing that and reminding people. People forget, we, we have short memories. So having a process around reminding people about those stories and sharing those stories. Uh, some of the great things that um, great companies, Daniel Coyle and the Culture Code wrote about some of the great stories around what made some companies great. He, he mentioned um, Johnson & Johnson and they had the Tylenol scare back in the 80s, I think it was, 80s or 90s. And how what they did to, they kind of had this credo and they followed this process around pulling all their product off the shelves all around the country. I think within six or eight weeks, they had new product out. It was a tampering scare on some of their products. And I mean, what it took for them to do that at what cost, right? But it showed that they really believed in what their culture was, which taking care of their patients, taking care of their customers, their health was important. And so they really took action. And so there's a story that's been handed down for decades in that company about what matters there. And I think those kinds of stories are really, really valuable and important. I've heard you talk a lot about alignment of purpose. What does that mean, John? So we all have, I mean, individually, I may have a purpose to achieve certain things in my life, right? For me, my purpose is to help leaders, help managing partners. I have more clarity, more confidence, and more freedom. And that purpose is driven by my own life experience as a managing partner, but also knowing that they'll have a positive impact on the people they work that work with them and also their families and the children. I have a grandson who's two and a half years old now, and I see him quite often. And I just say, wow, how cool would it be to help create a better world for him and his generation? In a company, I think it could be, you know, I think a company can have different kinds of purposes. So if you say to me, your purpose is we're going to make more money. Okay. That doesn't really, that's not going to drive anything. Daniel Pink will tell you, that's not going to drive most people to want to work for your that company. That doesn't chime with me, they might say. It doesn't, right. It doesn't. So being clear about your purpose, it could be, it could be the best CPA firm in whatever town you're in right? It could be the best tax firm, whatever it might be. Um, and I've gone through this process many times with my clients, but if you can really seek your teeth into why you come to work every day, so it's really aligning this, the values and culture, right? Why, why do you come to work every day? Why do you do what you do? What's that purpose? And, and getting clear, laser clarity around that. And that often comes back to serving your clients in the best possible way, doesn't it, John? It does. And to me, it's about excellence, honestly, uh, which is, to me, is another word for mastery. I wrote a book about leadership mastery. Um, you know, excellence, Tom Peters, with, you know, focused on the search of excellence, right? So excellence to me is about, it's something you're always a mastery. It's something you're always striving for. You don't always quite get there, right? It's, it's kind of moving target, but you continuously reevaluate. You continuously improve your processes and how you communicate. And I think it's creating excellent experiences with your customers. It's treating people like how you want to be treated. And in your writing, you've termed the phrase culture with character. When I ask accounting firms, describe to me a culture, they'll use adjectives like, well, it's positive, 
it's nurturing. But beyond that, they can't describe what their culture is. They can describe what it's like. But culture with character goes beyond positive for me. It does. It really goes down to really our values. The way you, def the way you define culture is based on how your, your actions. It's a, it's, think of culture as sort of a verb, as we talked about earlier. Think of it as a verb. And what are the actions? It's the actions you take. Day in and day out, day in and day out, how you interact with each other, the relationships you have within your firm, outside of your firm, with your customers and your vendors. That's what's really, I think, really matters. And so people are watching that constantly. They're watching you as the leader, always, and they're watching other leaders and watching other people in the organization, organization to see how they interact with one another. And so it's really around relationships. John, do you have a take on the business model of modern-day accounting firms? It's traditionally serving the partners, the equity partners, the people that have bought into that and the younger generation coming through don't really want to pay into the pension part of these senior people. So you talk about alignment of purpose and engagement. Is there a bit of a mismatch there? I mean, I don't think so. I think... I'm not asking you to solve partner comp in a few sentences. But... <laughs> that's, a, that's a tough one. I haven't thought of it that way, but let me let me see. So yes, I think look when I grew when I came into profession, yeah, I wanted to make I wanted to make a six figure income. That was my goal, right? I far exceeded that, thankfully. Uh, um, to, to what my I want to make a hundred thousand dollars. I far exceeded that uh, in my profession. I think I was in the profession long enough to do that, but. You know, I don't think it's all about the money. Now, some of the older, you have a transition going on too. You have older partners, younger, younger folks, younger partners. There's a real transition. I was talking, again, I'm talking to a, a firm in Florida that they kind of see this transition going on. And so, yeah, some of the older partners, they came in probably about when I came in you know, 40 years ago, 30 years ago, whatever. They're focused on my, and they're at a stage where they're focusing on their retirement. But you have to think about beyond that. I think about legacy, right? Legacy. So when you think about legacy, it goes beyond your time in the firm. It's leaving things better off than when you when you first found them, right? Leaving things better off. And so it's creating that environment where people can thrive in the organization. Look, people, people want to be compensated well, for sure, right? And there's a study done by Deloitte uh, recently. There's a study done by McKinsey that I read where one of the deal breakers is if compensation isn't at least, you know, just above average, if you will, if compensation is not right, that's a deal breaker. People are going to leave. So you got to take that off the table. So you got to pay people appropriately, right? Pay them maybe a little bit more than the average, if you will. There's other things that are more important. And I think it's a sense of belonging, a sense of contributing to something bigger than themselves. So, you know, there's some great examples out there. I mean, you've probably heard about Patagonia. I mean, they're, they basically took all the stock and put it into a trust. And as uh, Yvonne Chouinard, the founder of it, said, Earth is our, our only shareholder now. I mean, they're very focused on the environment and Earth. You can go that far if you'd like, but I think it's more about focusing on what do we, what do we, why do we exist? Why do we do what we do? How do we contribute to the growth of our clients? How do we contribute to the growth of the people in our organization? And not everybody's going to be a partner. So I think getting creative down the road about how to structure comp and those kinds of things will, will come into play. You know, I think there's a lot of talk with you know the private equity markets now and how that all is going to play out. And that's still evolving, I think, right now, but as to how people get compensated. But. Have you got any tips for leaders at all levels in an accounting firm to deal with the saboteurs, the disengaged, the quiet quitters, whether those are at partner level or below partner level, <laughs> managing teams, colleagues. Well, I'll use an analogy. You know, I'm really into sports, as I said earlier in my lifetime, and uh, growing up um, and played collegiate sports at a high level. And I followed, you know, successful sports teams, sports teams. One of those was the Miami Dolphins. And Don Shula was one of the, one of the most famous and top coaches in the NFL, you know, winning this most, most coach in the NFL. And what he did was he would adapt. So he would have different personnel. They had 55 guys in a team and they would change over time, right? Uh, different personnel would come in. And he would adapt the style in 
in how they ran their offense and how they ran their defense based on the skill set. So to do that, you have to really know the talents and skill sets of the people that work with. You have to really dig in and get to know your people well. You, you know pretty much intuitively as a leader, you know who's quiet quitting. You know, it may not be blatantly obvious, but you got a pretty good feel about that. I think sitting people down and having a one-on-one -on -one conversation with them. One of the biggest things that I think leaders struggle with right now is having you know, conflict, <laughs> the term conflict. Um, but it's really about having a, really about having a great conversation, a real conversation with someone, observing their behavior, calling them out on it, but in, in a non-judgmental way and, and relate how that impacts the firm, how it relates to you, how it impacts you as a leader, how it impacts everybody in the firm. Have a real conversation to try to dig into well, what's really going on here. It could be who knows what's going on, right? It could be something personal that's really happening in their life. And, you know, be honest about how you evaluate them. And I'm not a big fan of traditional evaluation. I, I'm a big fan of getting to know your people, understanding their skill sets, trying to leverage those, how to you know, help support them in the things that they're really good at. The things that they're not so good at, if they need to improve them, you know, have a, a plan in place to help them figure that out, to, to give them opportunity to, to change or to grow. Sometimes, you know, people are just aren't a fit. Bottom line is they're probably just not a fit for your culture or what you're trying to do in that firm. And there's nothing wrong with having that conversation. But if you can, you want to keep them. I, I saw a great quote where a HR person had been asked by the managing partner, this guy's asked for a raise. We can't afford to give it to him. What do we do? And she said, if you can't afford to give him the raise, then you certainly can't afford to replace him and retrain that person <laughs> right. and keep that person in his stead. So you, you've got to try if you can to get them back on side, but otherwise, yes, you've got to let them go. John, this has been terrific. So many wonderful insights about managing and attracting talent. Final question for you. I know you're big on the soft skills and you said that Elliot, soft skills are hard and the hard stuff is, is really a bit easier, a bit softer. So what are soft skills right now in the game of accounting? Well, I think just active listening skills, really listening and not judging. And so again, getting back to relationships. So having good conversations and the soft skills in terms of, and they're really considered, you know, as, as Tom Peter said, they're hard because they're a bedrock. They're foundational. So it's building relationships, um, having that opportunity to take time to get to know your people well. Now, you probably can't talk to everybody in your firm, uh, but you can model that behavior with your direct reports, your other partners, your other leaders in the organization, that they can then have those conversations with others in the, in the organization. So it filters down from the top. It all starts with you as a leader. This stuff doesn't just make you a better leader. It makes you promotable, makes you hireable. It accelerates your career opportunities in the talent game, doesn't it? Absolutely. Well, John Fenton, that's been terrific talking to you today. Thank you so much for your inspiration and your insights. Thank you, Rob, so much. It's been a pleasure. You're listening to the Accounting Influencers Podcast. Thank you.